listeners, Jenna here. I just wanted to hop on here and let you know that today we are tackling some difficult topics like sexual and physical abuse, so please take care before listening. I think at the end, they shared what short amount of time they had left because that was the circumstances, you know? Am I happy with it? No. But (laughs) I was just like, this is stupid. Why? (laughs) Because I was like, she did all these things, and now... No, nothing. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and today is a very special day as we are recording not only with the lovely Sierra Marshall, but we have two special guests with us. We have opened up our amazing Red Wine Reads book club to our followers, and we had Claire and Marley join us for an amazing conversation. As you may remember, they were on our Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow book review episode as well, and so they are back with some opinions that we love to hear. So before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review. So if you don't like that, please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for the fun loving and sometimes heated conversation, then welcome. We are so glad you're here. Whether you want to read one, none, or all of the books we are reading this week, this month, this year, it's totally up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinions and your hot takes on these books on our Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. That's at R-W-R-E-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So, without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week, we read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. So, we have all Peel and you alums on this one. Oh, wow. Special episode. <laughs> let's see what Loma can bring. <laughs> let's see what uh, types of feminist conversations we start with the Loma background. <laughs> yes! Yes. Sierra is my resident romance fantasy expert, has introduced me to such genres and such authors such as Sarah J. Mass and some smutty novels as well. So thank you for uh, (laughs) making my most uncomfortable episodes ever, Sierra. Appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. No, it's truly been a a fun because I feel like Sierra always picks books that I would never, ever pick for myself. And so it's always fun to get her opinions. And so today, Abby, um, another Peel and You alum, uh, has chosen for us uh, The Nightingale to read. And so we thought we would extend the invitation because this is one of my favorite books of all time by one of my favorite authors of all time. She's kind of like, I will buy any book by Kristen Hanna that ever comes out. She is like my A1. Love her. Um, Every one of her books hurts my soul just a little bit, but in the best of ways. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very excited to extend the invitation to our second Red Wine Reads book club. And so I'm very excited. (laughs) I know Abby also said that she really likes this author as well. Obviously, I think that's why she chose it. But I know she says she likes, what is that? The Firefly one? Firefly Lane. Yes. Yep. Yes. Firefly Lane. She really likes that one. And she hated the series because she was like, it's nothing like the book. Oh, they butchered they butchered the TV series. Uh, <laughs> but we will get into that. Don't don't we worry. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. Like I said, we read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. And with us tonight we have Marley, Claire, and Sierra. Marley and Claire, as you remember, joined us on our wonderful conversation on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And of course, Sierra is here on the reg. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll go around to share what we're drinking tonight. So tonight I opened a canned cab salve. I tried drinking one sip out of the can and I hated it. Or uh, like I hated the feeling of drinking red wine out of a can because it's actually one of my favorite red wines. So I poured it into these cool vintage uh, wine glasses and Mm. I was like, this is much better. (laughs) (laughs) Much better. (laughs) But that's what I'm drinking. Uh, Claire, what are you? Okay, Mm. I went with, I don't know, have you guys ever had the like Hokkaido drinks before? 
it's like a fancy seltzer and it's yeah. mango yeah. basil. Ooh, Doesn't really ooh. fit with the vibe of that the book. Good. But, but it's hot, so it works. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, only suffering fits with the vibe of the book. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing pairs with it. <laughs> um, uh, Marley? I have a strawberry pineapple lemonade today. Ooh, yeah. that sounds tasty. San Diego Farmer's Market purchased. Oh, yeah. That's A1. And Sierra? I'm a disgrace. <laughs> I'm not drinking anything right now. <laughs> Honest. Like, I always forget. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I could go run and get something, but. Uh, it, it's up to you, but uh, guys, totally you guys up to you. would see my shorts. So just like <laughs> you would see my I'll lower half. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like I am wearing pajama shorts right now. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Sierra just drinks vibes. That's all she drinks. So yeah, <laughs> I drink the bo- the essence of books. That's my. Uh, that's that's my drink today. Uh, that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> Let's dive right in. Um, I have some quick facts about The Nightingale before we get started. Kind of establish this book, establish this author. As I said, very big fan. So this book was originally published in 2015. It has a 4.6 out of 5 on Goodreads. So like unbelievably good ratings on Goodreads. Uh, this is a historical fiction novel. She has, uh, Kristen Hanna, the author, has written uh, lots of other novels. Like, a lot of them are based off of female relationships um, and kind of diving deep into, like, friendships, mother-daughter relationships, things of that sort. And so her other popular novels include The Great Alone, which is my all-time favorite book of all time. It's one of the best, uh, which is about a family who moves to Alaska. Then she has also written Firefly Lane, which has been adapted to a uh, Netflix series, which is about two friends and kind of their coming of age stories and how um, they navigate life together. And it's very touching. It also has a sequel called Fly Away, which is equally as good, I would say. And then she has also written her most recent book, which is The Four Winds. I think it's just Four Winds, but it's about the Dust Bowl and about a woman who is trying to survive that and is trying to just move out west. And it's heartbreaking, but it also takes place in like Southern California during Dust Bowl times. So it's kind of fun to see like where Orange County was and all the orange groves and all the orange trees and whatever that whole thing. And so it's very good as well. This book has been picked up to be a movie starring the Fanning sisters, Elle and Dakota Fanning, which, yeah. Um, it's been in production for like five years, so who knows when it'll oh. actually come out, but it's coming out. This was also named Goodreads Best Historical Fiction Novel for 2015 and was coveted People's Choice Award for Best Fiction in the same year. It was also named Best Book of the Year by Amazon, iTunes, BuzzFeed, Wall Street Journal, Paste, and The Week. So very well liked and very well uh, established book when it came out. It was actually inspired by the life and memoirs of a Belgian woman who survived the war and organized the Comet Line, which was an underground effort that allowed countless downed outlaid pilots to escape the Nazi capture and make their way to safety, as we'll see with the Isabel character. And then Kristen Hanna was an attorney before she turned to writing, and now she's been writing for almost 30 years. So successful women we love to see <laughs> it's a successful woman yeah and I always like to put Kate Quinn and Kristen Hanna kind of in my like top um, female writers because I feel like they both do really good jobs at like character development and also um, like establishing the place and time I feel like they do that really well so here we go the nightingale <laughs> I so we have our main characters here. Uh, we have Vianne, we have Isabel, who are the sisters, and then we have Sophie, who's Vianne's daughter, and then I want to butcher his name, but Gay Gaetan is that how you say it? Gaton, Gaton, Gaton. Great. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. French. 
Just French. Gaton. I love it. <laughs> uh, so that is Isabel's, you know, love. He also helps her kind of later on her journey. And then we have Rachel, who is Vianne's um, neighbor, who unfortunately gets captured by the Nazis and her daughter, Sarah, gets shot while they're trying to escape. It's freaking heartbreaking scene. <laughs> Cry every time I read it. And those are kind of our main characters. You have Beck, who is the German soldier that kind of uh, takes up home in Vianne's place. He ends up being... He's an, an annoying character, I guess, for me, where he's good, <laughs> kind of, but not. He's still a German soldier, <laughs> and he's still a Nazi, and he's still, you know, whipping people. So it's... We'll get into that whole moral dilemma in a minute. And then you kind of have Antoine, who is Vianne's husband, who goes off to war and then comes back. And then we have the soldier that will not be named, because I will not name him, who... <laughs> ends up abusing Vianne and impregnating her with the baby that we now realize when they do like the flash forward, like you get in the Titanic, that Julian, who's going to be Vianne's son, and they're like talking in 1995. So a few years after this has all happened, uh, Julian is actually this man's biological son, which is wild. <laughs> wild. Wild ride. Wild ride. Um, I don't even know how to approach the plot because uh, it's a hefty book, everyone. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's about, I don't even know how many pages, what, five to 600 pages of just historical fiction mayhem. <laughs> but we'll read a quick um, summary from the back of the book because I feel like if I try to say the summary, we're going to be here for about 45 minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. France, 1939. In the quiet village of Caribou, my French is not very good, so apologies for all the French listeners. I know you guys are just like, oh my god, this is so bad. We're trying. Um, <laughs> Vianne says goodbye to her husband Antoine as he heads for the front. She doesn't believe that the Nazis will invade France. But invade they do, in droves of marching soldiers, in caravans of trucks and tanks, in planes that fill the skies and drop bombs on the innocent. When a German captain requisitions Vianne's home, she and her daughter must live with the enemy and lose everything. Without food or money or hope, as danger escalates around them, she is forced to make one impossible choice after another to keep her family alive. Vianne's sister Isabel is a rebellious 18-year-old girl searching for purpose with all the reckless passion of youth. While thousands of Parisians march into the unknown terrors of war, she meets Gaton, a Parisian that, who believes the French can fight the Nazis from within France, and she falls in love, as only the young can, completely. But when he betrays her, Isabel joins the resistance and never looks back, risking her life time and time again to save others. With courage and grace and powerful insight, best-selling author Kristen Hanna captures the epic panorama of World War II and illuminates the intimate part of history seldom seen, the women's war. It's an epic. <laughs> so where to begin? Here's where I'll start. I, like I said, this is all-time favorite, one of the favorite books I've, I've read. And I think it comes down to just the character development that she is able to mm -hmm. provide us. Because a lot of times, I think you get this big mm -hmm. epic book and it takes a while for you to kind of like get each character and nail down who's who and like whatever. But I feel like she establishes the characters in those first two chapters or like first four chapters or whatever, where you're establishing how these girls ended up where they did. And then, you know, how Isabel's like a rebellious sister, how Vianne's kind of taken over that role of mother and just that kind of background that you need without it being like overpowering where you're like, okay, let's just get to like the action. Let's get to like what we're, what we're here for. I would love to hear your first reactions of the two characters. Like which one did he like? Which one did he not like? And I would love to hear your opinions there. I definitely related more with Vianne just because I'm like, that sounds scary. I'm going to protect myself and my family. And Isabel seemed like a little more like, naive and bold that I think like I relate to but she was like the character that I wish I was between the two 
But like, I know that I would be more like the end. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sierra. I actually didn't like Vienna as much. I was more of an Isabel person. Like, I personally relate more to Isabel. I'm a little bit more of that, like, outspoken, like, a little bit reckless type of person. Like, definitely wouldn't be happy sitting pretty while all this stuff is going around. Obviously, I know that's not exactly what her sister was doing. She was just trying to stay alive. But Mm -hmm. I'm kind of with with Isabel on this one. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Marley, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think I can respect both personalities a lot because I think Isabel has the freedom of no one relying on her. You know, like, I, I could see some of Van's decisions, especially some of the ones she makes, like, mid-book with um, when she writes down a list of, of her fellow co-workers or Jewish and Freemasons and whatnot, but she the whole time has someone else she's protecting versus Isabel only has to worry about herself. So like, there's part of me that loves watching the rebellious battle, but I think there's also like, there are quiet battles that VN fights and I respect those a lot too. So I enjoyed both characters. There was never a point where I was like, waiting to go back to the other perspective if that makes sense Mm. yeah yeah you were fully like immersed in each character's journey because you're like each of them are fighting this fight but in such different ways Mm -hmm. and you even have like you even have Vianne say at one point she's like I wish I could be as strong and as rebellious as my sister but like here I am just a mother trying to stay alive and you're like no, you're doing you're doing good work too. <laughs> like you saved yeah. 19 children yeah. from going to a concentration mm-hmm. camp. And I think like for me, when I first opened the book and first was reading Vianne's story, I was kind of like, ah, she's kind of the uptight older sister who's like, just follow the rules and nobody gets hurt. And and we all know at this point when it's 2023, how this all ends. And so we're like, no, 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 no. Like you got to fight this. <sighs> and so like, it's easy for us to be like, yeah, no, it's fine. But I think it's like interesting to see Vian's like character development and how her character changes so much from just page one into the end of the book where she is risking a lot in terms of what she can risk in terms of trying to save these kids because She's like, well, what if one of those kids were mine? But she is also simultaneously just absolutely being abused at home and just trying to make it through with this German man that's living in her house and is taking advantage of her. And she's just trying to do that to save her own daughter. And so you're like, right. Ah. (laughs) And there's so much of that like inner conflict as you're reading these two characters stories. For me, like, the first soldier who lives in her house, I kind of, like, so my grandfather, like, grew up in the Netherlands during the occupation in, in Holland. So for, for me, like, I've heard stories of, like, German soldiers living in the houses and, like, he actually had his own, so uh, their own soldier living in their own house. Mm-hmm. And... So, like, just for me, it was kind of, like, a little bit crazy to think about. And, like, same with my my grandfather and his family. Like, they don't have a choice in the matter. The soldier was just in their house. And I think you were talking about earlier how you weren't, like, you didn't really like his character because in some ways, like, he was a good guy. And then on other hands, like, he was a German soldier for me, like, the lines get a little blurry in that. And I think even for Vian, like, the lines get really blurry because she can see what a good man he is or he wants to be, but is forced to do, like, these horrendous things. And I think even he realizes at some point that it is, like, horrendous what he has to do. But if I think he's also on that side of, like, if he doesn't do this, he also dies. Like, he doesn't have a choice in it. And I don't know. For me, it was like, so the soldier who ended up living in my grandfather's house, they actually, he fell in love with my grandfather's sister. And then 
Mm-hmm. They both fell in love. They ended up like parting, having their own separate families, and they found each other like years later after oh their spouses had died and they got married, which is crazy because you think like this is a soldier who is living in their house, occupying their country. But in the end, I think there are just two people like struggling the same struggle, but in a very different way. And I also see that in this story too. And I just thought it was really interesting. Hmm. We need to write a book about that. (laughs) 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 That's insane. Yeah. I think Sierra, this reminds me that that reminds me a lot of like Bel Canto, that story where Mm -hmm. you have the hostages and you have the people who are taking uh, over this house and keeping these people as hostages, but they end up doing such a terrible job (laughs) at being like these captors that they end up just kind of like everyone lives in like a commune (laughs) together is like how it ends up. And so it's like, I don't know. Like, I think his character definitely examines that line of you're supposed to be this like evil being who is like coming into this house and overtaking this household yet he's not and so but he has to like report back to these people and he's like when she gives him the list i genuinely you know he's like i genuinely didn't think they would do anything with this and then here they are like you know capturing her neighbor I, I don't know. I feel like I would love to get Claire Marley's opinions on our, our Captain Beck character because it is fascinating. I think I maybe view him a little more harshly than um, you two do. I see him kind of, I think a modern equivalent would be like the polite racist where like he is kind, he's nice to her, you know, like he brings her food whatever, but she's the right kind of person for him to be nice to. Like, he still says some really terrible things. It, the The best that he can say is like, oh, I think the final solution is maybe going a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think he's an interesting character where, like, there's niceness to him, but not kindness in my mind. Mm-hmm. I think it was his, like, dark side that got him killed because I feel like when they were fighting in the living room after the pilot had been missing for two days he started like saying all these accusations at her and granted like we know that she was lying but I feel like it was kind of his pride that was getting in the way there I mean ultimately like he still shot Isabel like he wasn't like a good guy and that wasn't like out of protection like he open that door like knowing that he was going to shoot someone so I don't yeah I think like he like was playing two sides a little bit like he wanted to be the family man to Vianne and still had all these responsibilities and had all this food in his office and was only letting her see the parts of himself that he wanted her to see yeah he's a complicated character (laughs) you like you have those moments where you think he's the worst. And then you have those moments where they, you know, he brings her the fish and they have this lovely dinner and they're looking around the table. And she's like, Sophie has a dad in a, in a sense for, uh, for mm-hmm. a night. And, um, but it's still that underlying like danger and that underlying, like, mm-hmm. but he also was like whipping these people as they were walking into this train mm-hmm. that is going to take them off to a concentration camp. And so it's just, it is interesting to hear everyone's opinion because I, I struggle with his character a lot. <laughs> I think it, I think it's like less about justifying his actions and more about understanding yeah. his actions. So like for me, I don't justify the fact that he did these horrible, awful things because they he did them. But I think understanding the fact that like if he didn't do them, he would be in the same position as anyone else who is, who has gone against like mm-hmm. Germany, you know, like he would be treated the same way as like a prisoner of war or someone who is Jewish or like any of those people, like he would be treated the same way because he decided to go against them. So I think again, like not justifying his actions at mm-hmm. all, because you have that opportunity to take a stand and say something or do something like repercussions be damned, but he decides not to. 
but it's also like he's saving his own skin. He's saving his family's skin in Germany as well. And I suppose I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, You have to think like he has a family too. He has a wife. He has a kid. Mm -hmm. To what lengths would you go to protect them? And Vianne answers that in some ways and he's answering that in some other ways. And so it's, yeah, no, you're right. You can't, you can't justify anything, but you also can't get inside the head of someone. And I think that that was what Kristen Hannah was almost like trying to do with this. At least I don't know her and I don't know her writing style, but like, uh, like giving us a character and humanizing them so that it's not just a story of a war that we've heard a million times where like the Nazis are these faceless, like terrors that, like, this is what you're getting, but, like, you're actually getting a human and you're actually trying to understand why someone would become a Nazi or become a German soldier in times like this. And I think that she does a good job at trying to dig into that a little bit without it being uh, distasteful, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think you can even see the same thing in, like, in VN, for example, because, like, you can't really... In general, I think, like, really justify killing. But, like, if she hadn't hit him over the head and her sister shot him, like, it would have been over for them. So I think that's, like, finding that complexity in each and every person. They're doing what they have to to survive in the this horrible, horrible time. And and I think that's the hardest part of, like, reading a book like this is because, like, it's not fiction. It, it is, but it's not, you know, like this is historical fiction. So there's so many parts of this that are so true. While this is, this is a story about people that didn't exist, but these stories still were happening, still were true. There are people fighting other people for no reason. And Mm -hmm. for some who didn't even know the reason themselves, like they didn't believe the cause, but they still had to fight for the cause. Like, I think that's a really big point of her writing this is just humanizing each and every side and each and every character i would love to ask this uh correct me if i'm wrong sierra but i'm pretty sure you have a sister right yes okay great (laughs) and even claire has a sister marley i don't think has a sister great I didn't think so. Uh, I don't either. But I would love to get Claire and Sierra, even even Marley, uh, but get those opinions on the sisterly dynamic that she has written about. Because you have these two that are so, so flipping different, like on the complete opposite sides of things. And they come together. And like whenever they come together, it's volatile. It's like they can't seem to understand each other. But then once they leave each other, they're like... Like, I'm sorry. Like, that was that was too far. <laughs> and, uh, and so, like, I would love to get your guys' opinion on, like, how closely does that relate to, like, the actual sisterly dynamic? How well does she describe this kind of sibling relationship, I guess, so to say? I didn't relate to it a lot. Like, I feel like, so my sister and I are four years apart, um, and I'm not sure how old Vianne is, but I can tell that they have, you know, like a good amount of years in between them. And I think growing up, we would fight a lot, but I feel like as adults, it seemed they were almost like, I feel like at points, like the characters were a little bit too simple where I'm like, okay, you're, I want to see like that love happening in those tense moments too, because I think both can exist there. And it was so like either this or that. Whereas I think it can be more complex and a little more nuanced and subtle. But I also think that they have like a ton of trauma. It makes sense that they're going to like a little more extremes during wartime and such. But that was kind of my reaction towards that. For me, I I think me and my sister's relationship has in the past been very similar to Vianne's and Isabel's. Um, my sister's definitely more like She's like, she's more of the studious one. She's more of like a people pleaser. And, and she's just, I, altogether, I would say more even tempered and well behaved. (laughs) And I, on the other hand, am like saying stuff that she's always like, Sierra, stop. Or, you know, like when I'm driving, if someone pisses me off, like (laughs) I'm saying something, I'm honking or doing something like that. 
when she's in the car with me. So I do see like how in like a situation like this, again, like I feel very much more like Isabel, even though I'm the older sister <laughs> in this, um, and my sister's younger than me, but I also feel like she would be the more of like, just keep your head down, like just go with whatever is going with. Whereas I would be like, no, absolutely not. And I'd be probably getting us into some trouble. And understandably, like their dynamic is strained because first of all, they're so estranged. Um, and I think like that has played a big role in it. Like Isabel hasn't really grown up with her sister, hasn't grown up with her father. She's been away at boarding schools for as long as like she could be sent away to one. And Vienne's been living her own life and literally said that she couldn't even comprehend taking care of Sophie and her sister at the same time. And I think we just see that even when she gets back. And I think because they've been so estranged that getting, it's almost like getting to know a stranger, like, or rooming with a stranger if you've been in like a dorm room with someone you don't know very well and you just end up like butting heads. I think those two different personalities just really scrape against each other because they're so different. But I think as the book goes on, that relationship, there comes an understanding. And then I think they become more similar. So Isabel learns to restrain herself. And then I think Vianne learns to put herself out there more and be more willing to fight for her cause, seeing as how, how much has gone wrong when, when she's just sitting still. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, pulling from, like, my experience with an older brother, he is definitely the Isabel of the family, and I am definitely more of the VN. Like, I, I can distinctly remember climbing this rock in our grandparents' backyard, and he was like, what if I jumped to the other rock? And I was like, I swear to God, if you do this, like, <laughs> like, like I'm screaming, we're getting the parents out here, like, do not jump, like, things, like, you will not make it. <laughs> And just like that was, I am not a risk taker in that sense. And so he would definitely be that. But I could see it in the sense of like, all I wanted was to keep him safe. So I feel like Vienne's like, all I want to do is keep you safe. But I don't know, like maybe the easiest way for me to keep you safe is to keep you at an arm, like at an arm's length and to not get too close to you because you know, even her and Antoine had had many miscarriages before this, like before having Sophie. And so it's like, you build up this hope to have, I'm not speaking from experience, but you know, you have these women who tell these stories of you build up this expectation and this excitement for this new life that you're going to bring in. And then that's taken away. And so it might be something that's kind of internal. And I'm speculating here because I am not VN and I don't know her brain. But if it's like, well, if I don't, have her a super big part of my life, then I can't technically lose her. And so that might have been some fear playing into that anger and that tension and that, you know, fighting side of the sisters. Well, I think even like any big tension, like from personal experience, like we tend to alienate each other. And like, like my sister and I specifically, like, we'll go in completely separate rooms and not speak to each other mm-hmm. for a good amount of time. But then like at the end of the day, we're like, do you want to go get food? And the other is like, yeah, let's go. And so like, there's always that reconciliation, which I feel like eventually happens. Like these are more stressful times than just like getting in an argument. Like this is life and death and these are people's lives at stake. So yeah, there's a bit more... I guess, like, tension. Mm -hmm. And so I think, but as a whole, you see these two come together at the end and love each other like sisters do. I think um, what I add is today we recognize parentification where one sibling is expected to be a parent figure to others as a form of abuse. Um, So I feel like it can't be understated that in their father's neglect and their ex- the expectation placed on Vianne, not just to be an older sister, but to be a surrogate mother. Like 
she is a victim of abuse. So I understand that like she wants to get away from that situation and start her life where she gets to choose and like start her family and not have to take care of somebody who she didn't choose to have to take care of. And I can also totally understand Isabel's relationship. Um, I'm somebody who has a big age gap between siblings. My oldest brother is 13 years older than me. And I think a big part of why our relationship remained quality is that he was never expected to step into that parenting role. Like he was always able to just be a brother. So I feel like mm-hmm. this relationship has the extra nuance of not just being a sisterly relationship, but being almost an estranged mother and daughter. And that complicates things a lot more. It complicates the reconciliation, which for me, mm-hmm. I don't know that I felt entirely satisfied with by the end of the book. I didn't feel like I got the time with it that I needed because there's so much time where they're apart and they're thinking about the wrongs that they did to each other. And then we don't get a lot of time with them together working through that at the end. Which we have to ask, is it intentional (laughs) that we, uh, that it's like that story of, I was going to actually wanted to get into this of like the ending and how, um, uh, Isabel's death, um, and kind of like her and Vianne's relationship at the end, because I, I agree. I don't think we had, I don't think we had enough time for these sisters to actually bring up everything that they were feeling to have that huge heart to heart, to have that, like, you know, here's how I can help you. Here's how you can help me. And let's like, you know, talk about things and move on. And I don't think you get that. And I feel like for as grand as Isabel's life was for her to just kind of get this sickness and then die. I was just like, ah, (laughs) but like, it's real and it sucks. But I was like, you know, hope it, you know, I don't know, wanted that hero's death for her, like in some epic way, but it isn't, that's not like, how it would happen in real life. And unfortunately in those times you would get a terrible sickness like typhoid and you would just die from the side effects from it. But I would love to get everyone else's opinion because it, it did frustrate me. I have, <laughs> I have a qualm with the ending, but like, but I also see it as almost necessary in the sense of like, sometimes we don't get our loose ends tied up and sometimes it leaves us feeling kind of unfulfilled. But that also made me just like giving Kristen Hannah way too much grace. (laughs) So I'd love to hear everyone else's opinion. I personally think it was intentional. And I say that because you're talking about there's no reconciliation between these two sisters. But I think you can relate that to there's no reconciliation for what has happened. So you don't get that satisfaction of like, They don't get enough time together. But I also think there's like this unspoken nuance of like sisterly togetherness, I guess. Like, I just feel like it's it's unspoken that they have forgiven each other, that they've taken this time apart and realized the sanctity of life and the importance of loving the ones that you have while they're there because it happens that there was no guarantee that any of them would live. And so like, while there wasn't that heart to heart, I think there was that just understanding that knowing that all of this stuff that they had between each of them was so pointless because life is short and there didn't need to be that conversation between the two of them because It was just an understanding. I think it was an understanding from the war in general that like it's too short to like be angry with or to hold grudges for those that you love because they could be taken away just so easily. And so I think at the end they shared whatever, what short amount of time they had left because that was the circumstances, you know. Hmm. Am I happy with it? No. But (laughs) (laughs) that's... I was, I cried when she, when I, when they explained that she had passed away and I was just like, 
this is stupid. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I was like, she did all these things. And now, now nothing. Mm-hmm. So I was upset. And she mm-hmm. didn't even get her like little long-term love story, which killed me. I know. Being a romance reader. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was going to come up. (laughs) Uh, Claire, any thoughts on the ending? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I, (laughs) so, okay. I'm all about a realistic death. Like, you know, I thought, Papa's was so symbolic. That sacrificial love, beautiful, poetic, mm-hmm. gorgeous. Isabel's needed to be better if she was going to die. Like it needed not necessarily to be heroic, but it needed to have like a lot of meaning in it. I feel like to justify. And you can't tell me that it's realistic that as soon as her lover walks through the door, she takes her last dying breath after they say, I love you. Like, no, if she's going to wither away, she's going to wither away. <laughs> And it's not going to happen. <laughs> Literally, as soon as Gatan walks through the door, like, that was a little too much for me. But I I don't know. I felt yeah. like they had a little bit of closure. It just wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I was upset that she had to leave, and she had to leave in that way, which also brings me to my next point, which is the flash-forward like Titanic, you know, the woman is the old woman on the boat type feel where it's like you have this old woman, uh, she's talking to her son and then you get these three chapters at the end that kind of unveil and reveal who each person is that uh, is at this event. And you just have Vienne just like yeeting it to uh, France and it's like, <laughs> peace out. <laughs> and her son's like, where are you, where are you going? <laughs> she's like, no, nah, it's fine. And I was just wondering if you thought that that added anything to the story, if we didn't need it, if there was one too many chapters. I just, I feel like whenever you kind of get like a curveball chapter like this, I feel like people either think it works or it doesn't quite work with the story. So I'd love just to hear what everyone else has to say. I do think it was this. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't realize that the old woman was VN until like the very end. And maybe that makes me really dumb, <laughs> but I really thought it was going to be Isabel. And so because she got this invitation and so it was like, Oh, they're trying to celebrate her. So I was shocked when I found out it was her sister. And obviously like it more or less talks about how her sister passes away around that same time and how she passed away. And then having Gaetan come with his daughter also gutted me because I'm like, how could you move on after such an <laughs> epic love? Um, which is like, it's so human to like grieve and then not move on like they're always with you, but to, I mean, you have to get on with your life. But also the romantic in me was absolutely heartbroken <laughs> that they never got their happy ending and that they didn't have children together or they didn't grow old together. And also I think the part where I can't remember his name, but I remember his like changed name, Daniel came back in. And I think that was so moving to me because after all that time, he never forgot her and it took the time to point out that like, Hey, it wasn't just your sister who was a hero. Like you were also a hero Like, there are plenty of, like, strong women in this book, and, like, you were one of them, and you helped me, and you helped these other children, and while you may think, like, your sister was the heroic one, you were right up there with her. I do think the flash forward was worth having. This is maybe a little controversial, Uh, Sierra, I'm sorry. But I did not care about uh, Gatton. He was. I I feel like Kristen Hannah overestimated how important he would be to me because he was in like thirty pages of the book. So for me, like this, like oh, she died in the arms of her love. Eh. Like I cared more about the sister relationship, and he he could have not been in the book, and I would have been fine with it. Um, So him showing up the end, it's fine. I do feel like the thing that 
hit me about the end was I felt like the last hundred pages were all suffering. And we finally get to the end and we're getting some of that closure of, you know, people who are honoring the legacy these women left behind. And then it just sprinkles in for fun. Oh yeah, and Sophie died 15 years ago of cancer. I know, I felt the same. Oh yeah. That's true. That's also very true. (laughs) Like they, at that point, it was sad for sad's sake. Rather yeah. than like, mm-hmm. th- like it, it didn't feel meaningful. And so I enjoyed the flash forward. I felt like it gave me the closure I wanted. It was great to see the people who respected their legacy. I think it's interesting to see how she has handled the parentage of Julian and, you know, keeping that secret from him to protect him and that she's going to continue to keep that secret because I know I couldn't handle finding out something like that. Like, how do you live with that? So Mm -hmm. yeah, just for me, I I feel like they just killed Sophie to hurt me. (laughs) Fair. Trauma after trauma after trauma. Yeah, because those last last, like 100, 150 pages, it was just all tears. Mm -hmm. All tears all the time. Oh yeah, same. That's her signature. I will say I was I listened to The Great Alone, her other book, um, on audio, and it was during an internship, and I just took my headphones and took my little notebook and listened to the last like we you know hour and a half of the book, and I am just in this corner sobbing, and I'm like I'm fine, it's fine. Yeah, this is not a book you take in public. This is no. a read at home. <laughs> Claire. I don't. I don't want to miss out your chance to uh, talk about the f- the future, Vienne. Yeah, I think that it took away from the main story for me. Like, you're kind of like on this big journey with them, and then I feel like every time it flashed forward, it took me out of what was going on, and it didn't add to it. And then I felt like the ending. Okay, on top of me being mad that like Isabel just died in Gatan's arms, I'm like, really, he's going to be alive still? Like. That mofo's kind of old. Like, I think <laughs> you should be dead by now. And then, and then, like, how would he know about it? Like, I guess he was, like, kind of a hero in the story, too. So maybe he would get an invite. But it was, like, too many people. Like, I liked the focus on Ari slash Daniel. Like, that was really beautiful. And I feel like added to the story. But she was just going for too many at that point. Like, I'm like, we can't have closure with all of these people. We get no closure with the sisters, but everyone else. but also I think what really disappointed me was that all of these people who had gone through this trauma together didn't stay in touch like that's it seemed to me like that was the first time that Gaetan had seen Vienne in forever like your my sister was the love of your life and she died in your arms and you don't stay in touch (laughs) or even with can't pick up the phone or what's his name (laughs) yeah well and I know like that he couldn't find them for the longest like I'm sorry but if I were Vian I would be searching for that little boy for forever yeah like that was practically her son like that is her best friend's son and someone she practically raised for however many years it's incredible to me that she didn't try and go and look for him. Especially when she ended up in the United States as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's one of those, I feel like it was done as, like, a cinematic choice of, you know, of a dramatic Mm -hmm. reveal-type choice. But I also think, you know, there may be in some sense of, like, it's painful to have to, like, live... Like, when... Gaton looks at Vienne, he's gonna see Isabel and he's gonna like remember those times and he's gonna it's hard to move on, I think, when it's gonna be that painful, which is why I think he maybe kept his distance. As for Daniel, I you know, it may have just been one of those things that Vienne's kinda like, I I almost don't wanna know. Because what if he's dead? What if he got picked up by terrible people and is a drug addict? Or like, you know, like, it's almost like, 
I want to know, I want to remember him as this little boy that I dropped off in the safe arms of this woman. And like, I want to know that like he ended up somewhere really nice. Again, playing devil's advocate there. Uh, (laughs) But you just, I don't know. That's kind of how I viewed it. But also it was probably a dramatic choice of, I want this to be a very big, a like, big reveal boom. at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think it was more of that. I was like, line, look but... who else here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel she probably felt it was what was best for him to like step back of he needs to have this new family. And I think there is also the extent to which, yeah, like all these people went through in unimaginable trauma. And I don't know, like maybe it's too much for her to like try and find him after, you know, I, I, I suppose when he was an adult, she would have done it. But 10 years later, when she's like her and Sophie both have refused to talk about the war, like never bring it up. I think they all collectively decided to just forget it. And mm-hmm. any like any movement towards it is probably just emotionally too much. Yeah, their therapists are all probably like, oh, guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was just going to say, I was like, these people need some therapy because, like, that ain't healthy either. Just burying no. it. Can a therapist handle this much? This is, this is pretty I don't level. know. I, they should try, though, because that's, <laughs> that's the problem with a lot of that generation is that they went through all this trauma and never got help for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think she even tackles that with Julian, like, Papa's character of, this is what happens when you go through a war and then you don't talk about it and you just let it fester. And she she tackles that topic as well in different books of, like, what happens if you just let this fester? And it's ugly almost every time. (laughs) And so... um, She was rampant, like, after, especially, I think, World War I with trench warfare... Like, mm-hmm. where they just call it shell shocked, but yeah, there's uh, it, it was not a good time to like just try and come back and soldier on as if nothing had happened and you didn't have this massive trauma that you underwent. And yeah, yeah I think there's also yeah. the fact that a lot of people were probably focused on the war that the soldiers fought and didn't necessarily focus because you know, it's like when they get the invitation and Julian's like, oh, is this for dad? And it's like, men always think that the wars are about them. Like even her son probably never really thought about what it would have been like to live through that war. They just were like, well, dad went to war. Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. that's what happened in World War II when mom was there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's even, I think, what's so interesting about this book is she's touching on, you know, Isabel's like fearlessness to actually be in the war of, rescuing people all this stuff but you have that other side of the coin of vn who's like our job is for when these soldiers come back it's as if they never left it's like we are going off as life as usual like they're you know which adds to the the like ptsd with the shell shock like you have these guys who have gone through immense trauma and these women who have also gone through immense trauma at home, but the women are like, welcome home, sweetie. How was it? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> like acting like nothing happens doesn't like eliminate the problem. Exactly. And just, it And that was a big thing too. Like they, they had like the PTSD and the shell shock or whatever, but then they also had like a culture shock mm-hmm. because it was coming back to, oh, everything's hunky-dory, everything's normal now, but it was definitely not normal. You're living in a world where nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, we could keep talking. Like I said, this book is hefty. We could keep talking for a very long time, but we would be here for a while. Let's get into our final ratings of uh, The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. So we will give this a uh, rating out of five stars. I can I can lead it off. Gave it a five out of five. No surprise mm-hmm. there, is it? This is just everything I love in a book. It's historical fiction. It's friendships. It's strong female leads. It's an action-packed 
story. It's a little bit of a love story. I'm a sucker for that. And it's also just like, it's also just this phenomenal story. Of, I like, we, I struggle with parallel storylines a lot because I get lost, but I feel like when it's done really well, I really, really like it. And this one, like you said, kind of toward the beginning, Marley, where you're just, you don't really look forward to the next point of view. Like you're really submersed in each point of view. So I feel like I just loved that aspect of it. I hate crying and I hate sad things. And when a book can make me cry and also make me enjoy it, I have to give it, I have to give it props. So um, (laughs) it gets a five out of five for me. Uh, Claire. I, I gave it like a 3.5 out of five. And I feel like for how long the book was, I was wanting it to go more into like the nuances and complexities of some of these like big things that are being talked about in it. And I don't know. I think the ending kind of did it for me. I just, it was like too, like wrapped up too quickly. I wanted to see like how their marriage survived after the war. Cause a baby's like not going to fix it. I feel like that's the cliche and go more into kind of some of those like, <laughs> nuances and complexities of life um but that being said I did read it in like two days and was like enthralled in it so it's pretty good it's just I think reflecting back on it I wanted it to go further with some of the ideas yeah we'll we'll write to her we'll say we'll need a sequel please Um, (laughs) thank you (laughs) uh Marley yeah I struggled with settling on how I felt about it for a long time like this was a book that I really needed to sit with for a few days Mm -hmm. to kind of sort through feelings I would ultimately say four out of five I think there's a lot of parts of this book that were a five out of five for me like you said those multiple perspectives I feel like there's always a risk when you make like a split perspective book that there's gonna be one where readers are like Ugh, I got to read Abigail's perspective again. And here I am just wanting to be reading Leah's. Like, can we just focus on that? This isn't as interesting. You don't have that here. Um, mm. And I loved, like, we've all read how many perspectives of World War II at this point. It's There's book after book there. But to read one where not a second is spent on the battlefield, and yet it feels completely action-packed and interesting and engaging... Um, I think is super well done. Uh, I wasn't super familiar with what World War II was like in France. That wasn't something that I'd learned a lot about before. So I think that was super valuable. I've said my issues with the end, and I think that's what ultimately knocked the star off, one star off for me. But it's it's a solid read. Love it. Sierra. I will give it a 4.5 out of 5. I really enjoyed it. I am actually like a big lover of historical fiction, especially when it has a touch of romance. I think, in my opinion, like it has to in order for me to actually be like really invested in it. Just because, I don't know, makes it a little bit more fun and less depressing. Because I feel like oftentimes when you get like historical fiction, it can be very depressing. Just because this is the war we're talking about. So I I really enjoyed the book overall. There were some things that I would have loved to see more of and to see probably a little bit less of. But ultimately, like, all wrapped up, I think it was a wonderfully written book. And I... I didn't have any problem getting through it and I really liked the character development. So, and I liked the characters. So 4.5. Love it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into our pairings section of this recording. So this is where we pair TV shows, movies, and or other books uh, that might pair well with today's book. Um, And also a cocktail slash wine choice, um, if you so so choose. And 
I'm excited. I have a f- I have I have way more books than I do for like anything else. So I can I can start us off here with uh, my drink is going to be a French 75 because <laughs> number one it's French classic. But I feel like it's also like a celebratory drink. And at the end of the day, after you're finished reading this book, you kind of like want to raise a glass to like everyone who you'd read about and kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say like celebrate, but just like toast to the ones that were lost and toast to the ones that are still with us. And I feel like that that's the type of drink they would have at like this uh, little, you know, event that we're seeing. My TV show, I struggled with this, but uh, I don't really watch a lot of like historical, like Outlander type uh, TV shows. So, um, so my TV show uh, is going to be Winona Earp. It's a little odd, but it's about uh, Wyatt Earp's like great granddaughter or granddaughter. And uh, Wyatt Earp is like this famous Wild West kind of legend who was this big gunslinger. And it takes place of like if he, if, if all of his descendants at one point in the year have to kill all of the people he has killed with this like special revolver. So everyone like rises from the dead and tries to like come and attack these descendants. And so (laughs) it's a very interesting um, thing, but it's this very, you know, very strong female lead. It's this woman who kind of didn't choose this for herself yet. She's kind of thrust into it and has to figure it out. And it also has some interesting sibling dynamics and sisterly. um, It has a very cute sisterly storyline as well. So kind of fits. (laughs) Very big stretch. My book, I ha- I I settled on two, so don't worry. But I did the Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. Like I said, Kate Quinn kind of goes into this same category, and the Diamond Eye is about Russia's most famous female sniper in World War II, and she becomes good friends with Eleanor Roosevelt <laughs> after everything. But it's like a true, like based on a true story. Like this woman actually exists, but they call her Lady Death because she has killed so many people. And so, just this like interesting story of uh, of a woman trying to do what she can in the midst of war, and actually having a huge impact of war on on the war itself, and actually like the men come together and kind of be like, oh, she's actually a huge badass. And that one has a love story that actually works out. So (laughs) kind of, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) And then my other book was Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I feel like you have that interesting mother-daughter relationship that they uh, kind of talk about. And even just like the daughter dying of cancer before the mother, I feel like that just kind of stuck in my brain. And then... You have a movie, I did Harriet, about Harriet Tubman. Because, I mean, Underground Railroad, I feel like it kind of gives the same vibes as what Isabel was doing. Those are mine. Claire, any any from you? Yeah, I also chose Harriet for the movie because I thought it matched the, the vibe. The book that stood out to me was Night Witches by Catherine Lasky. And it's about um, these female pilots in World War II. Who would turn off their engines and like go down to like stealth mode and drop some bombs. And I think they were Russian. They were seemed to be on the wrong side of the war. But <laughs> and for drink, I was thinking an espresso martini because they kept talking about chicory coffee. So I thought that tied in some elements. TV show. I thought the handmaid's tale. You have that like mother-child relationship with a sisterhood feminist kind of vibe going on yeah I think I hit all of them (laughs) I'm gonna warn y'all now my list has big one of these is not like the other energy I had the same thought as you Claire with the cocktail um I went Irish coffee where they're just talking so much about how terrible the coffee is. So I feel like having a good coffee with you, but it needs to have something stiff to get you uh, through things. For a book, I went with The Book Thief. I think this is, it's the same time period, World War II, um, very similar energy, um, fantastic narrator, because it's narrated by death himself and gives you another like civilian perspective during World War II. So I think that would be a fantastic pairing um, movie. I went the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. 
same thing. Um, you know, takes place around the same time. You're getting it's like three different countries during World War II and how things worked out for civilians. And I think that's a very interesting perspective that is not what history books focus on. And then, so my fourth, this is, this is your dessert. This is your palate cleanser. So after I finished this, this book, I watched Bluey. (laughs) That was, that was the level of wholesome that I needed after all this. So that's your, like, you have gotten through it. Good job. Go watch the Australian dogs be silly. That is so funny. So funny enough, Marley and I are on like the very same wavelength because for book, I chose the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. And that's written by Mary Ann Schaefer and Anne Barrows, which they did turn into the Netflix movie. For movie, I chose the book thief. <laughs> um, I think it's like that's it's that small rebellion for me that is like it's very similar to this but then for um tv shows i kind of have two which are similar but not similar so i picked downton abbey specifically i think it's like second third season a little bit of the first but it kind of deals with you know these sisters raised in like this very prominent family in England and and there it's around the same time as the war so like husbands are going off to the war brothers cousins like everyone and everyone's trying to find a way to like kind of help and support and some you know older generations who were in the first war not can't do as much but you know then there's some others who go and fight in the war and it just all encompasses around that time period but in England and then for the second one, I chose Peaky Blinders. Um, in a different way, has that sibling aspect still in a very um, messed up family dynamic as well. Um, and on top of that, we have um, the lead character, Thomas Shelby, who was in the first war and had to deal with all the shell shock and things that I think are very relevant to the same type of situation as some of the characters in this book as well love it those are all really good i feel like good job everyone (laughs) well that's it that's the show unfortunately is over as as we said we could probably talk about this book for way too long but we will be back next month with another pick so feel free to join we would love to have more voices on here and more hot takes so yeah until next time cheers Thank you for joining. Hi, listeners. Jenna here. Just wanted to hop on and thank you once again for listening to another episode of Red Wine Reads. If you thought this conversation sounded fun and you want to be a part of it, I want to let you know that you can, and you can slide into our DMs on Instagram and or TikTok and let us know that you want to be part of the next Red Wine Reads book club. We will send you an invite link and send you all the details for the upcoming book club meeting, which is going to be all virtual, of course. For next month, we are going to be reading Other People's Clothes by Kala Henkel, so we really want you to join in on this conversation. It's going to be a fun one, a wild ride, and it's going to be definitely inventing Anna-esque. So please join us, slide into our DMs, and let us know that you want to join the Red Wine Reads book club.